Behind every influential person is a teacher or experience that encourages them to follow their curiosities. Kathy Averill would discuss the world with her son, Michael Larson. For Kathy, no question was too small. She encouraged her son to explore the world. From listening to Mikey's music and any of his bands, from Idea and Abilities, Oliver Hart, Carbon Carousel, I can see how Kathy's teaching influenced such a beautiful mind. From rap battling to jazz, freestyle, hip-hop fusion, grunge, and poetry. Mikey was driven, curious, and most importantly, he was really playful. I wanted to talk to Kathy to listen to her experience raising Michael. And ultimately, her individual experience. In the show notes, you can find links to a documentary that was about uh, Mikey's life. And you'll also find the links to uh, his song and website where you can find all the merch and stuff. I'm going to play you in with a song called uh, Is It Right by Christoph Crane and Idea. Have a good New Year. I'm not really there, this casket's a show, I'm not really alive, I only cry to bring you into my hole and I will hold you tightly in the name of fucked up, till you bite away the same thing connected us, my ribs break every time I get a hug, a billion stars in the sky and I only want to taste one, you're my Jupiter, I'm your junkie, I know you're pretty, I can see it in my ugly, now I'll put my face down, you can stand on my back, if I drown, please know that, I'm happy to see you get where you had to get, it's wrong, wrong.
under my feet. Summer creeps like a killer, still the thunder sky weeps. Stop to wonder why me. Hear a hundred cries deep. I eat, push with a little more push, keep on with a little more keep on. But the jukebox won't get only plays our favorite R&B song. I hope the plates forever, 50 train tickets long. Or let it die whenever, whatever. So tell me, is it wrong? little bit of strength that I still have left. I'm working on a better way to go up on my death, and I never took time to take a second look at certain instances that let me hurt, and as a person I'm witnessing what is better known as perfect, which you cannot see, but that's a purpose. Nervous twitch is ridiculous mischief. I'm so done with this. Let's just break away. Dull the fangs. Make it a point to point out mistakes. As long as we can get it to a level where we both understand that I am happy. I am. I wouldn't lie. I wouldn't want to pry. I wouldn't want to see if I couldn't look you in the eyes just to fly. Trust the sky. Seek shelter when it's time to make the clouds cry. Spend a, did you enjoy creating, like uh, whether it's music or writing, or um, you know, possibly. Um, I'm fairly old, so like you know, television and uh, things for that were very sparse. I mean, we had party phone lines, so everybody on the block had the same phone number. You all shared the same. Your house had a phone, but. You know, you all shared it, so if the neighbor was on it, you knew wanted to use it, you'd have to say, you know, I want to use the phone. You get off in three minutes or whatever and stuff like that. So we always had to be using our imagination and creating things, you know, creating games and stuff like that. I didn't necessarily ever do, like, music. Um, you know, we all probably wrote at different points in time in our lives. I mean, whether we lived in my same generation or not, it's just kind of cathartic, and it's a way that we all, you know, put stories together and things like that. Yeah. Um, but, no, not particularly like music and stuff, you know. I mean, again, we had to make up our own games, and we played outside a lot, and we were not in watching and doing, you know, gaming on TV or on computers or none of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It was running around in the woods and chasing after the bunnies or the squirrels or trying to figure out, you know, playing capture the flag or mm-hmm. things like that. So Your free time was very stimulating in that sense. Yeah. When I grew up, um, I grew up in San Francisco, and then I got moved to a town of 300 in Idaho. And that was, it, that was forced shock. to do that. Yeah, it was, it was a huge shock. It wasn't, uh, we didn't have any family there or anything. So it was just myself, and we didn't have internet, TV, and I was literally submerged in that being in the Bay Area. Mm. So it was, yeah. Yeah, it, and it was interesting because it, it um, caused me to, or forced me to think about a lot of things, like whether yep. or not that's life, because I, I was bored. My mom wasn't around because she was, you know, um, busy being a single parent. Yeah. 
you know, working and all that stuff. And <laughs> yeah. So, so you had to use your creativity in your mind. It's called <laughs> your imagination. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's, um, with the imagination, that's where I find like the most uh, valuable experiences and just joy. Um, yeah. And for when you were uh, growing up, the view on like creativity and stuff, was that just obviously something you did as play? And um, was that seen as like a career or did everyone just go to work for labor? Um, you know, I was, well, everybody in my little, I, you know, I had, my dad started his like own business mm-hmm. and was a, you know, um, a mechanic and a car repair person. And he was very creative. I mean, he could listen on a phone and figure out what was wrong with your car. And, you know, creativity, I think used to be not just art. Mm-hmm. You used to be able to be, um, you know, very good and creative at figuring out things and how to fix things or how to make them run or how to improve them. or um, And so it was, you know, there weren't a lot of automatic things and a lot of machines and stuff. So you had to be able to figure out a lot of different things, let alone like, you know, vehicles didn't have seat belts. And, um, you know, what do you do with little kids who are running around in the car and you know, um, for my sister, they made what they called a cage. They turned a playpen upside down and put her inside it so she couldn't run around in the car. No way. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, oh. I think um, it was the creativity and the way that we viewed the world was more about being able to solve the problems and figure them out and fix this or that to make it easier for your daily life. And now... There isn't quite as much of that because you can ask a computer directions. You can watch on YouTube how to fix it or change a tire. You can, and so I think creativity now is is different. It's more, um, it's not as hands-on, and it's more probably abstract. Yes, if that makes sense. You that, know, that, that does make sense. Some people would advocate for it saying that you know because of that now you have more time to focus on um i guess those abstract concepts or the things that are more meaningful to you but yeah and i kind of i would kind of disagree i would say because we have all those things that's taken up more time of our life we work longer now Mm -hmm. we we spend more time traveling to our jobs and you know we're we're more away from our family and we're more away from that human interaction and so the luxury of the electronic or the you know technology age is not the same for everybody if you are let's say you know well off you can afford to use those machines so that you can then ponder on the Mm -hmm. bigger questions in life but if you're middle class or lower or working poor or something you have to work harder and you have to work more Mm -hmm. so that you don't get to ponder those things anymore and years ago you could because you did work, but you only worked 40 hours. Now you work 55 hours, if yeah. that makes sense. And that's just my opinion and, you know, my observation in life. So That does make a lot of sense because um, even just look, thinking about it now, 
the uh, average expense of a person, you know, with upkeeping of all this technology and um, our vehicles, our toys, it's very demanding, not just on our uh, finances, but also on our time with the maintenance of the things. Yeah. And I, something that I run into often is um, you can get, it's very easy too to get lost in like the, uh, the noise because the signal mm-hmm. to noise ratio is really high and not, it's like playing Yahtzee to expect someone to be taught how to discern um, important or time-worthy information as opposed to watching the next uh, epic fail clip of the day, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can. I agree with that. That's um, why, I, I guess in some ways I was uh, fortunate, or I really enjoyed Mikey's music because growing up, I, I was only like the culture that I grew up with was you know work, and come home and usually people would get you know um, blasted whether it's alcohol or something else, and that's pretty much all that. I, I knew within my family, within my immediate community, and, you know, you can go watch movies, but there wasn't something where, like, a deeper experience. My parents never talked about philosophy or, like, suffering, the human experience, and or even their emotions outwardly. So being exposed to his music at such a young age for me, it uh, caused me to ask a lot of questions that I wouldn't have otherwise. Well, good. I'm glad. He um, did a really good job at making people think. <laughs> and he also did, I think, a really good job at making people believe that whatever emotion they had, that's what he meant in his music. Mm. Um, you know, and I've said it a few different times. People have said, well, what is this song and what does that song mean? And it's like, well, to you it means he's talking about a girlfriend. To mm. You know, this other person, he's talking about drugs. To this other person, he's talking about war. To this other person, he's talking about abuse. Um, but he was talking about his dog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's like that—that's the thing that that I enjoyed because it wasn't extremely personal the way that he talked about his experiences. It was—it was, but it was uh, universal. Like you do that with comedy. If you were, yeah. if I was to make fun of jujitsu, which is you know a practice of martial arts, I couldn't take that joke everywhere because not everyone practices jujitsu but if i could take my experience of jujitsu and explain it in a way that everyone can connect with it on their own level like, yep yeah that's that's magnificent yep um when he was growing up uh was was he always interested in you know making music and writing and these uh questions um well he was always questioning. I I did a thing, you know, a lot of parents do the, you know, when a kid asks them a question, they're, you know, they don't answer it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I never not answered his question. I mean, if he was like, why can't I cross the street? You know, and I've told the story about our argument with this little kid about he wanted to cross the street mm-hmm. without holding my hand. Well, you can't cross the street without holding my hand because you're too small and the cars coming down the street can't see you. There was always a reason. He always got a reason for the answer, um, which I always thought was important. I always got a reason. My parents never said because I said so or because I'm the parent or any of that. It was always, well, you know, if you're going to be out till 11 o'clock running around the neighborhood, something could happen. It's dark. We don't know where you are. We don't know who you're with, you know, whatever the thing was you know 
you don't want to go to school today, well, you know, then you're going to have extra work to do tomorrow. You're going to have to, you know, have a reason for your teachers. You're going to, you know, whatever it was, there was always a reason for the answer. And so with Mikey, it was, um, there was always a reason. And I think that just allowed him the freedom to question things and people and situations and feelings and stuff because he was never like told you can't or you know I'm the adult you don't get to ask that or you know whatever which happens a lot I think with kids a lot of kids get the well you know no I'm the adult or because I said so or you know whatever it is That's, um, you take the power away from them and their yeah. ability to be able to figure it out. Like the thing that when I see my son, I always uh, like to reiterate to him that we're the same in the sense that you, you're you a person like I am. The only difference is, is I have more responsibilities. And in most things, I know more than you. And the only thing that like that you can change that, like if you do martial arts or uh, even like the law, for instance, you can gain, have more knowledge as a kid than me on those topics and then the roles reverse mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and like that that's very interesting that, that your parents would do that for you was that something unusual when you were growing up was the way your parents explained things to you yeah i would say it was really unusual a lot of my friends didn't get that it was you know because i said so and mm -hmm. you know no and um you know there was also the other thing I, there's a thing about when you ask a parent something and they say maybe and everybody assumes, or as a kid, you assume that means no when you get all huffy and all that stuff. Mm. When I would say maybe, you know, to Mikey, it was, well, I need to weigh the options, you know, what we're doing, what's going on, what the question is, you know, mm. why you want to do this and that. And then I'll give you an answer later on. Mm -hmm. And a lot of kids keep coming back at you. Well, you know, can I, can I, can I, you know, and then parents get frustrated and they just yell no without any kind of thing. And, you know, as, as Mikey grew and he was, you know, a little kid and he would, you know, constantly say, can I, can I, or I want this, or can I do this, or whatever, and it would say, maybe, you know, you need to wait, I need to figure it out. And he became very good at when I would say, well, maybe, that that would be the end of it until I gave him my decision, because he knew that I, there were things that I needed to process and and weigh and stuff. And his friends would be, go ask again, go say this. And he'd say, no, she said maybe. And they'd be like, well, then she ain't going to let you do it anyhow. And he'd say, no, she sometimes does. Don't worry about it. Just back off, you know. <laughs> and then sometimes the answer would be yes, and sometimes the answer would be no. It would all depend on what it was. Mm -hmm. And, um, that, you know, having my parents have the conversation about, you know, well, there's reasons for this and that. I think made it a lot easier for me to let Mikey do a lot more things because we could have the conversation about these are the reasons for the yes and these are the reasons for the no. I mean, it wasn't just one, you know, I didn't just give them reasons when it was no. It was reasons for yes. There was always a consequence, whether it's good or bad, for every action and every interaction you have. And so, you know, you need to learn what those are and you need to wait and be able to see what they are and that type of stuff interesting because you give them a real working knowledge of that and being able to slowly but surely discern what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate as he becomes more intelligent and gets older yeah very much i would agree he was quite a smart kid too
Oh, was he? I mean, <laughs> God, yes. He was way smarter than he needed to be. I mean, I've told the story about the one and only time he went to uh, college. We all took him and my mom and I all took a philosophy class together after he graduated high school. He didn't want to go to college, but I was like, you need to go take one class. You need to see what it's like. That's you only. That's what you need to do. You have to see what it's like. You'll go sometime in your life, maybe, maybe you won't, but you need to see what it's like. And the first class, you know, afterwards he went up to the professor and he's like, well, I'm going to be gone a lot. You know, I'm touring and stuff like this, so, you know, I won't be able to make all the classes and stuff. And the guy was like, well, you know, then you can't take my class because you're going to fail and stuff. And Mike was like, no, I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to fail. And he's like, yeah, if you're not here, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. And Mike was like, give me your final. And he took the final and, you know, he got maybe one wrong. Wow. And he was like, uh, yeah, I'm smarter than you. I'm not taking your class. Bye. <laughs> what? That's so, crazy. That was his only college experience, <laughs> other than playing at colleges. Yeah. <laughs> he played at a lot of colleges, but yeah. And then helping me with my homework, of course, because he made me go to college and get my degree in education and adolescent psychology. And Really? Um, yeah, he was... You know, I've always had kids and teenagers, and I've always helped everybody. And, you know, we've had lots of people live here in the house with us. And I mean, Max lived here as a teenager for years and stuff like that. Um, that's abilities. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, you know, you need to go get paid to do this. So, and I was like, well, nobody's going to pay me to do this because, you know, you need a degree and stuff. And so he put me through college and made me get a degree and had to help me with my papers and you know he'd get really frustrated because i'm extremely dyslexic and he'd say you're not reading what's on the paper Mm -hmm. and i'd say but that's what i see and he'd say but that's not it (laughs) (laughs) so we had fun he had fun helping that's cool see my mom's dyslexic too and i'm not so like having when she reads and stuff because i was trying to uh encourage her to to read more because she'd find things that were interesting but you know wouldn't pursue it further and the, yeah it's it's hard to um to be able to help someone who who is like who is at a disadvantage in in that way and not be able to understand that experience you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's interesting that I could see how you'd like teaching given um how well you respond to Mikey's questions when he was a kid <laughs> yeah i you know I've always felt that there's not a I have um, this in, it's just this innate ability to figure out what teenagers need to be positive, productive members of society. And without having an adolescent psych degree, you know, nobody listens to you. And um, I used to mentor kids and I used to, um, my friends' kids, I used to go to their schools and I did the same thing that, you know, I used to do with Mike. I used to um, send a letter. I used to I used to physically take a letter on Mondays to all his teachers. I used to tell them, you know, I want a daily record of this. I want his, you know, at the end of the week on Friday, I want all the homework or all the missed assignments. I'd go pick them up. We'd all do, you know, Mikey would do them. Mm-hmm. I'd take them back and physically, because teenagers, they'll do the work. They'll do your homework and stuff, but they have a tendency to forget to turn it in. Mm-hmm. And you'll find it shoved on the bottom of their locker under all their crap. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And, uh, you know, I, I did it with my nephews and my nieces and, you know, um, uh, my friends' kids and a lot of, I used to pick, and kids sometimes they don't like, to, I've picked up kids and taken them to school and actually picked them up afterwards. And it's like, yeah, you know, I have friends that, um, that you know, their kids wouldn't go to school and they'd be like, well, they'll be there. I'll be dragging their asses out of bed. They're going to school. And, <laughs> you know, I'd take them to school and, and some of them, even it was, they were in grade school and they were like fighting with their parents about, I'm not going to school and I'm not this and that. And their parents basically would just like give up and say, okay, I'm not, you know, I can't make you and this and that. And I'd be like pounding on their door going, ah, yes, you can make them. Let's go grab your little button. Out you go get in the car right now. We're going to school, you know? So Mikey was like, you need to have a degree so that people can listen to you and people actually know you know what you're talking about and stuff mm -hmm. and so i did and now unfortunately i don't use my degree because i'm taking care of my sick elderly mom but that's okay yeah unexpected things happen yep they and do when with those kids who, who who didn't want to go to school was there anything that you noticed um that worked really well to change that that attitude around or is it just um yeah well what what it is is it's having an adult mm -hmm that they know no matter what they do is in their corner and that adult is the one that will be able to have them see that this is important getting a high school degree is important whether you it, it's not important that you're learning anything because they're not teaching you anything mm -hmm. but what it is it shows the world that you can finish and follow through on something mm -hmm. And that's what the high school degree is. It used to be if you got a high school degree, you could go on and you could work and you could move up in a company and you could learn all this stuff. Um, or you could go to college or you could go to trade school or, you know, you could become a mechanic or a welder or whatever. It's not like that today. It hasn't been like that probably for the last 20 years. But what high school became was the step that it shows the outside world. If you got a high school degree, it shows employers that you actually are, can stick with something, whether you like it or not. It shows colleges that you can actually, you know, um, be bombarded by what's going on in the world and actually still focus. I mean, it's just a tool that the working world uses to see whether or not a person is able to complete things whether they'd like them or not. Mm -hmm. And once those kids figured out that every day Miss Kathy is coming to pick my ass up <laughs> and um, I am going to go and I am going to complete this and I am going to finish this, you know, those kids all finished high school, you know. Some of them went to college. Some of them have jobs. Some of them, you know, that turned out to be dancers or musicians or, you know, whatever. But um, they all knew that – and. It doesn't have to, you know, it, it, for Mikey, it was his parent. It was me. But for other kids, it just isn't always that parent or your parents. They are not always, you don't always believe that that person really is in your corner, especially when your parents start talking to teachers or principals and they start more agreeing with the adults. Mm -hmm. That was one thing that none of these kids, I never agreed with a single solitary teacher or adult, and sometimes not even with their parents. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would fight with their parents about, no, that's not how it's going to go. 
this is how it's going to go, you know. And some of my friends would get really upset and, you know, and they wouldn't talk to me for a little while and then I'll, you know, and then, and some of them would, you know, let me keep taking their kids and getting them to school and, you know, working on them with their homework and getting things done. And, you know, and the ones that didn't, you know, years later um, have come back and said, I wish I would have. I really wish I would have because, you know, now they're out of control or now at, you know, young adults and, you know, they have a kid of their own. They're they're just, you know, all messed up and like, you know, they're always drinking or they're always partying and they're just not, you know, being that responsible person. And I should have never, you know, went against what you were trying to do and stuff. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, I, I don't know much, but man, I know kids, I know teenagers, (laughs) you know, that's what I know for sure. I can tell you do have a really good eye for that. There's um, that's something I confront myself with, or I confront often. I went to, I got expelled when I was in middle school, and I went to an alternative school where I met a lot of um, kids who didn't have the most ideal life. Um, and before that, I just wrote, you know, there's good people and there's bad people, black and white, and um. Once I went to that alternative school, I just realized, no, there's there's just people with different, you know, different struggles um, and different severity. And yeah. no one's not redeemable. But it interests me like that, that um, line when a, a kid or a person would just give up and they would plummet into destructive behavior um, to the point of like the, not no return, but just very destructive behavior. You know what I mean? Yeah. Usually the destructive behavior in people, in humans in general, is more about um, they don't see a way out. Mm-hmm. And so if if I can't see, a, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, then obviously I can just do whatever I want and it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's a mindset. And that can be, you know, especially when it's young and teenagers, you know, our frontal cortex isn't fully developed and um, we don't have a, I mean, it doesn't really fully develop until we're in our 20s. And so it takes a long time for us to get the sense that we are just a small pebble and if we move the pebble in the right direction, we can make a huge impact. If we make it in the wrong direction, we can do horrible destruction. And it takes a while to figure that out. And once you do figure that out, I think, um, especially if you've had a stable adult that's always there even when you're spiraling, um, it's easier for you to start to make those realizations. And once you do make those realizations, it's easier to make choices that are less damaging to yourself and to the world then it is when you don't have that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Like, if you have a blueprint for how to behave, yeah, it's, yeah, much easier to to actually make that change. I um, I it really it resonates with me when you talk about you know having um, no hope to when you, when you give up on like finding some sense of satisfaction from whether it's getting your GED or getting into art or, or like positive, you know, positive things um, that aren't as destructive. 
I, I would meet like uh, homeless people doing some interviews and the theme that I would hear would be like, you know, you, you go to uh, destructive use of substances, like overusing things or uh, with heroin, even alcohol, when um, pleasure through like pleasure through pleasure through your normal actions, whether it's being kind to other people or being diligent and not giving up, didn't reward them with anything. It just rewarded them with more hardship than they would, the mind, they'd fall to the mindset of giving up. I know it's very nuanced, but to where they would go for instant gratification, the pleasure of now, despite the destruction that could ensue. Yeah, and I think a lot of that, and some of that's come along with technology. We have so much more of an instant... Um, you know, instant gratification age, you know, I mean, and it's not that drugs or homeless people or sadness or anything wasn't around. I mean, it was, it's been around since humans have been here. Mm -hmm. Um, But it wasn't always so easy to fall into the mindset of the instant gratification. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't as generally sought after because i do believe nowadays you know people are you know i mean look at social media look at all the people that are you know i don't have any likes or you know nobody likes my picture or um you know whatever it is and that is what they're valuing themselves on Mm -hmm. and um you know i think as we've gotten more and more towards that a lot of it becomes more and more difficult for people who are unable to find value in themselves when they're, and then we have this added, well, you have to be valued because, you know, we've got, I don't know, the Kardashians or whatever that have (laughs) billions of dollars for taking stupid pictures of themselves or whatever it is they do. You know, it's just time, man, time has gotten to be very strange. I, I agree. It really has. And with our, not that I have anything necessarily against capitalism, it's just an interesting observation where, um, like you take casinos, for instance, people really enjoy that. And it might not be, it might not be something that, that benefits the individual. It, it um, for example, like more people I would imagine would lose money and make money at a casino, but because it's attractive and it hijacks our reward system, it's going to do well as a business model. Just like mm-hmm. we like social media, if it plays off of our, our need to be accepted and liked, it's only natural that that company is going to build a platform that hijacks our most um, addictive mm-hmm. portions of our, of our livelihood, in, including like instant gratification. Because if they made something that was for the better of us, specifically something that just benefited humankind, and if people didn't find it interesting on a whole, then it would die. Right. That, that is, it's positive in some places, you know, you get innovation with like, I don't know, maybe a car that's driverless. So eventually one day people can get around easier, but then there's the consequence, the negative, just like you're saying with the yes and the no's, and there's a consequence to everything that even the negative, there's a positive consequence where we have all this cool innovation that might be useful. And then there's the negative one where we have this, uh, the antithesis of innovation it, it's more cancerous yeah or we rely on it so much like with all the hackers and all your social security numbers and your into you know all your bank numbers and all that stuff we've relied on it you know people think i'm goofy because i still send letters and cards in the mail <laughs> i you know i don't care 
Yeah. They're like, well, you can just text me, and I'm like, yeah, well, don't care. I it's it some of that personalized stuff, you know, we're we're getting away from, and someday the technology isn't going to be there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's going to be a point where there's so much that the simplest thing of like making a phone call like this is going to be like a huge effort, mm-hmm. you know. And we're going to forget how to do that. I mean, I have a landline, and people are like, you still have a landline? Why do you have a landline? Well, because did you hear in the hurricane in Houston, the only guy that had a damn landline is where everybody figured out and found out who was live and who wasn't. Really? Yeah. He oh was because it's the only phone that worked in the area or something. I don't remember if it was Houston or one of the other ones, but it was during one of the hurricanes that just hit. And they had him on the news and stuff, and he was like, yep, I was telling the neighbors, they're letting them call their family and, you know, all this other stuff because mine's the only phone that works. It's still a dial landline, you know. But there are people that don't even know what that is. Wow. That's That's crazy. You see it. I guess that could be extracted to look at like the need for you know even um physical activity for instance or um whereas today it's not necess- it's not necessary to to survive to you could just sit around all day and if you work in an office you can sit in your office all day as well but well, you, it, but it's important <laughs> our bodies need activity yeah. and you know and actually so does your mind and people mm-hmm. don't quite understand that but in order for your mind to grow and all the cells and all the synapses to snap and fire and all that stuff, you need to move. I mean, you need to walk. You need to do something, you know. And if you go from sitting in your office to sitting in your car, which is what is going on nowadays, to sitting when you get home, you know, all, all everybody's on their devices. I mean, they, I've seen recently they have commercials where they're telling everybody to turn off your device and have dinner together. What? I mean, yeah, there's been a couple of commercials, you know, to, for, um, I don't know, what is that, Xfinity, about how you can control all of them and so you can mm-hmm. shut them off so everybody can have dinner at the same time. And um, it, But if we are getting to the point where that's what we're doing and we need to have advertisement telling you you, supp- you should do this, maybe we should have slowed down with the technology a little bit or maybe we should have, like... I don't think grade schoolers should have cell phones. That's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Who do they need to talk to? <laughs> I mean, you know, and the answer, and a lot of people say, well, you know, if there's an emergency. Okay, there were emergencies when I was a kid in school. Uh, there were, you know, tornadoes, disasters, a war, um, all kinds of stuff. And we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have pagers. Like I said, we had party lines. And so, yeah, they physically had to call and say, you need to come and get your daughter. She, you know, broke her arm Mm -hmm. and you need, you know, I mean, that was, or, you know, your parent had to call the school and say, we just, you know, had a death. I'm coming to get my daughter or, you know, my son went to the doctor or whatever. this, This is not, you know, everybody doesn't need to know everybody's business all the time constantly. Mm hmm you know, the people who are involved need to know. And I do understand shootings and things like that are bad, but we had shootings before. I yeah. mean, the, the guns, are, again, are not a new thing, but having a cell phone and recording it and putting it out on the Internet is a new thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. 
But you don't need to see that. You know, <laughs> I'm not stupid. I do know there's bad stuff going on. I don't actually need to bum- be bombarded with it. You don't need to eat you know? a buffet every day. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I often wonder if some of the more recent negative ways people are living or the amount of killings or the amount of, you know, um, you know, assaults and things that have increased is because we have become so um, desensitized to that behavior because Mm -hmm. it's so readily and it's in so many things and so many movies and so many games and so, and you hear it in, you know, music and you see it everywhere, Mm -hmm. you know, have we become oblivious to the fact that, you know, people are behaving badly and, you know, I stopped reading the paper when I was like in seventh grade and um, it would be well for every bad story. If they put one good story in, I'll read the paper. Mm-hmm. And that's what I tell them when they call and say, you know, you can have the paper, or, you know, free for a month's trial. Nope. If you put one good story for every bad story, I would do the paper because I know there's just as many good things that happen in a day as bad. Mm-hmm. But we don't focus on that. We don't look at that. We don't, you know, we're not, we're not praising the person who stopped the kids from fighting. We're not, um, you know, supporting the teacher who got in the middle of the two and broke it up. We're not um, supporting the, you know, fireman who actually, like, went into the building and brought the person out because they were stupid and started a fire, you know? Mm-hmm. We're just, well, that person is charged with arson. Well, you know, come on. You know, there's just so much more to what we are than all that negative that it's really hard, so I don't purchase. I don't watch the news much anymore. I don't read the paper. I don't watch the internet news. None of that crap. Even the bad things that happen, though, it's usually portrayed in the form of spectacle, as opposed to an opportunity to examine the human condition. Whereas, like, you know, if someone, if there, you know, there is a shooting, right? And the, the reality of it is, I, I agree with you from things that I have read, it's been something that's, that has happened for a very long time. And I think statistically, it's likely to happen over, like, if we have, what, uh, 300 million people in this country, one in 300 million or whatever, that's ridiculous odds. And I'm not trying to trivialize, like, uh, mass shootings, but uh, right. it's just community, listening to everything that's going on in an entire country is so overwhelming. And it's hard for us to uh, actually get an appropriate idea of it because we operate within communities of like 100 people, not 300 million people. Yeah. Like that's uh, the thing that I find fascinating. And once again, that I like about um, Mikey's music and is that focus on how we experience things. Like I, no one talked to me about that growing up and I'm not alone in that. A lot of people that, like a lot of my friends and just acquaintances, their family, it was uncommon for their family to talk to them about how they organized their thoughts, how they handled their emotions. Like that's like unspoken things that you just kind of figure it out on your own. But that's, that's so unreliable in a lot of ways. Like I don't advocate for the state teaching a person how to think because that has some bad implications on its own. But I just think just having that conversation around more, you know, how, how to deal with these feelings and um, you know, what, what are thoughts exactly? Like if you have like a, a negative thought, whether it has to do with yourself, like I, you, you see an edge and you're like, I want to jump off of that edge. 
or you picture doing something that bad to someone else, for instance, like so there's a difference between um, identifying with those thoughts and taking action or just, you know, letting them pass by. Because a surprising amount of people that I meet have very have adverse thoughts, but most of them don't act on it. Yeah. Well, and because, you know, um, <clears throat> there's a couple of things that, you know, I taught Mikey and I actually just recently learned out where one of these one of these things came from. I used to, as a little kid, being dyslexic, read a lot. And I used to, when I was really little, um, and my teachers and stuff used to tell my parents, you can't let her read that stuff, but I loved Edgar Allan Poe. And I used to say um, all the time, and I never knew where it was, I always thought, because it's in a song from the 60s that that's where I got it from, but I recently realized it was from Edgar Allan Poe when I was young. One of the things is, believe half of what you see and nothing of what you hear, because you our ears fill in words and our mind interprets that. And when we look at something, we really only see half of it. And a really good example is if you have four people who see the exact same car accident, you will get four different stories because they all see it from a different perspective and a different angle. And so you can only believe half of what you see and nothing of what you hear. And I used to tell that to Mikey all the time. The other thing I used to tell them is your freedom ends as soon as it starts to infringe upon my right not to mm-hmm. have that go on. Mm-hmm. You can do what you want because you're a human and you can make your own decisions and all that other stuff, but it ends when you start to infringe upon my right not to have to, you know, whether it was an argument, it's like, okay, this is going too far, but you got to listen and this and that. no. Your right to talk and your right to do all that and your freedom to do that ends because now you're inflicting on me and I can't get any farther in my thought process and whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So you have to stop. You know, that's just so you don't have more rights than I do and your rights are not more important than mine. Mm -hmm. We are equal in this. And so your right ends, your freedom ends when you're starting to, you know, in inflict upon my right or my freedom not to do that or not to hear that or not to see that, Mm -hmm. you know? And those are important things that we don't teach people anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure why. You know, everybody thinks that, you know, well, it's my right, my freedom, I get to do this and stuff. Well, no, you don't because you're doing it against all these other people, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? You need to stop somewhere along the line, or somebody needs to just stop and be whatever. The other thing I used to tell them is no matter, it doesn't matter on age, one person in every situation has to be the adult. And the adult may usually has to be the one that's willing to stop the argument and just let it go, has to be the one that realizes that being right isn't the most important thing has to be the one that realizes that um, there's an alternative and somewhere down the line we can all get to it, there needs to be a compromise, whatever. And that person is not always the adult. Mm -hmm. A lot of times in a lot of Mikey's business relationships and stuff, even though he is seven to ten years younger than the people he was dealing with and working with and things like that, he had to be the adult. Mm -hmm. He had to be the one that was going to be like, no, we're, we're... this is done. We're stopping this. We're not going any farther with this, you know? And those are things that I think 
would help. And those are things that helped those, you know, I taught all the kids, all the teenagers that, you know, and I think that helped them and still helps them. I mean, it still helps me in every situation. I realize, okay, even in this conversation between you and I, one of us is being the adult and one of us is, you know, and it will change some part of the conversation. You're the adult, some part of the conversation, I'm the adult, you know, it's just how the interaction works and making it viable for both parties, if that makes sense. It does make sense. It's a, a constructed dialogue. And I, I think that that's very interesting. I see its importance considering some of the issues that I've had in communicating with others um, throughout my life, where uh, once the argument, once the conversation rather became um, emotionally just just filled with emotions. It got distracted to where it just became an argument and it never, the conversation never advanced. And at one point in time, I had to um, stop and try to not remove myself from like getting caught up or entangled in the conversation. Um, I just had to realize that, that like not to, to stay with the, with the point and not get lost and, in the emotion or not get caught up in, you know, wants and desires and stuff, because I would end up like, uh, in my marriage, I'd end up in the same argument over and over again. Yep. And frustrated. <laughs> and, yep. Yep. And why aren't you listening? I said, this is important. <laughs> exactly. And then they'd just be like, why aren't you listening? And it's like, yep. oh, we're not going anywhere. Yep. Let, my mom, um, she handled relationships the same way. People around, there wasn't anybody who was like, hey, that's, that's not a good idea, except one guy. And he kind of helped me uh, reassess how I went about things. Um, and the thing that, that I find interesting, since I've had my son, is you know how children have all of these different stages that they of development that they go through from like managing their emotions um, in all sorts of situations. Um, I, I see it in some people, or actually a lot of people, where like there's an aspect of their childhood, um, whether it's that communication dialogue or uh, sharing, for instance, um, and even security, where it's like that thing never got addressed as a child and it's just been carried throughout into adulthood. I guess um, I'd, I'd be thinking about one example would be my mom, where like whenever she... Uh, met like a stressful situation and she got angry she didn't know how to let go of her anger and it overrode it like you know when a kid is gets upset because they can't have candy or something so they start yep, they're the having that tantrum and they get into that red and they just keep going and going and going yeah yeah it's given me a lot more empathy for people who go through that including myself because i i was more shy and timid but I was watching that in my son and I had to address that in him. I had to not, you know, I just had to give him guidance in those situations. Mm -hmm. and it was nice. Cause like I can point it out in adults, whether it's someone in our community and not shame them for it, but say, just as a reminder, like, son, look, this is an adult and they're still working on, let's say not screaming. And you're working on screaming right now. Everyone's at different levels. But you need to continue to work on it. And here's the consequences of not working and like connecting that suffering. And it's allowed me to learn my own self 
that like, I don't identify with timidness. I can be timid, but I work to be less timid. Yeah. And that's good. And I do think, um, as there comes a point in time in everybody's life where, you know, we've all come from some form of dysfunction, no matter what it is, Mm -hmm. it's just multiple degrees and levels, but we have to stop and say, I'm not going to be that, or I'm not going to do that, or I'm not going to participate. Like if you're, you know, parent is always angry and always yelling, um, a lot of people grow up and when they have kids, they're doing the same thing. And you have to just be able to look at your behavior, your parents' behavior, the reasons why you're doing this behavior. And Mikey was really good at that. He was really good at looking at people's behavior and empathizing with them on what is going on in their life that was making them behave that way and get them to say, look, you don't have to behave that way. You got choices. You have alternatives. Just because that's the way you've always been doesn't mean that's the way you have to be. Or that's not the way, just because that's what you've known growing up your whole life doesn't mean that you have to do that as a grown-up. You know, he was really good at helping people find that and see that. I think a lot in his music, for a lot of people, that's what it does for them, is that they look at it and they're like, oh, I don't have to be this way. I don't have to do that, you know? Surprising, because a lot of people that that I've met through work um, or, you know, doing shows or anything were like, bring up um idea and that is one of the things that we connect on is that right there is just yep. realizing more of um who we are and also yeah not a the ability to change and um when mikey was younger and he would go through his difficult times like emotionally uh, how would you handle it well, it wouldn't depend on what the emotion was. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is a little general. Sorry. You know, he was, um, he very, 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 very young. I mean, I'm talking two, three years old, was very able to um, articulate his feeling. So if he was feeling angry, he was able to tell you what he was feeling angry about which is easier to help someone figure out what the anger is or, you know, if he was really, really happy about something, it was easy because he was very good at being able to say, you know, I'm really mad that I can't tie my shoes and I don't understand why I can't tie my shoes. I should be able to tie my shoes. Everybody else ties their shoes. Well, you're two. Your fingers (laughs) don't work that way yet. You, You know, your dexterity isn't there. If you want to really tie your shoes, you know, in the next couple of months, you got to practice and try every day. And, you know, and, but you don't have to tie your shoes in the next couple of months because most people don't tie their shoes until they're four or five. Mm-hmm. So you got your choice. You can be frustrated and angry, or you can practice to not be, to do the skills so that you're not frustrated and angry, or you can just let it go and it'll come naturally down the road. Mm-hmm. But, you know, here's, and I would just lay out, here's what your emotion is, and here are the things that you can do and use it to move forward or, you know, not, and then let him make his choice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he didn't always make good choices, and, you know, as a kid, he didn't always, you know, um, choose to be the more positive, upbeat 
person that, you know, we all would like to think we are, but, you know, I mean, that's the way we learn and that's how we go. And, mm-hmm. but he never, um, he always got to pretty much do, when I say he got to do pretty much whatever he wanted, that's true, except for like destructive things, but he got to do destructive things in a very, um, controlled environment like all kids like to burn stuff right Mm -hmm. we all like fire we all want to see things burn and mikey like everybody else so okay here we're going to build a little fire what do you want to burn in this one i want to burn this gi joe guy i want to see what happens okay here's the tongs stick the gi joe in the fire and watch what happens (laughs) oh cool look how it melts and oh look it makes the fire stink and oh look at the colors (laughs) that come on yeah okay great you want to you know See how to build a fort. Okay, here, this here's the wood, here's the saws, let's figure this out, you know. And he'd build two-story forts with hidden compartments in it. And, um, you know, you want to figure out how to skateboard. Okay, here, let's go get a skateboard. Let's build some ramps in the driveway. Let's, you know, um, you want to take a special effects class and you want to learn how to make blood and you want to learn how to make bullet holes. Okay, here we go. This is it. And these are these things we need. And, you know, this is how you use dry ice to do this and use corn syrup and chocolate syrup and this other stuff to make the fake blood. And here you put a little button in with a wire and you, you know, make a loud sound and you pull it and it looks like a bullet hole and blood's coming out. And so whatever it was that he was, you know, soccer, okay, you want to play soccer, we're going every year, you know, or all day or all summer or whatever it was, or karate. He went from having no belts to a black belt in two years in karate. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> because here, this is what you want to do. Okay, this is what we're going to do. And I've told a lot of my friends and a lot of the kids Mikey's age have now started to have kids and stuff, and they would be like, you know, how did he get so good at stuff? Well, as the parent, you have to do the work. That's the whole thing. As a parent, you have to do the work. So you have to drag them to all the rehearsals, or you have to drag them to the practices, or you have to sit next to them while they're practicing so that they actually do it. And I used to do with Mikey one year. If he was interested in special effects for that whole year, we did every damn special effect we could figure out. I took him to the science museum. He took classes. We did stuff you know, we knew people that did movie things, so we had them showing things and all this stuff for a whole year. You want to do karate? Okay, fine. For the very first year, everything I had to drag them to, every tournament, you know. And after a few months, I mean, kids change their mind very fast. You know, three months into it, and he's got a couple of belts, and he's like, ah, you know, I think I'm kind of done. No, you're not. That ain't it. Get your butt in the car. We're going you got practice, you got rehearsal here. I'm your dummy. You, I got all the pads. You do all the kicking. I do all it, you know. Mm-hmm. And everything he did, he had to do for a year. And the funny thing is, is that probably he was around 22, maybe 23. And he said to me, I can't believe you only made me do that stuff for a year. Why didn't you force me to do it longer? I was like, are you kidding? I could, I only got enough fight in me for one year. <laughs> That's it. If I had to do two years of making you practice the piano and sit with you while you did the piano, I would have gone crazy. <laughs> I can only do one year. I will put in the work for one year. But then after that, man, and he did for karate, you know, he went on and a few other things he did. He went on and did longer and stuff. But um, it was like, yeah, I... As a parent, you got to do the work. Same thing when we got our dog. 
I think all kids need a dog. They need uh, something that they uh, that unconditionally loves them no matter what. doesn't matter, man. That dog is happy. You could just beat the crap out of it, and that dog comes right back to you happy. <laughs> and so I, it, the thing was, was, okay, we're getting a dog. I have to do the work. I'm the one that has to train it. I'm the one that has to clean up after it, and I'm the one that has to feed it. Mikey's job was to love it and play with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And boy, that just, it works out great when you give a child something. They don't have to do the work. Most parents, you know, they get the dog and they make the kid go clean up the yard. They make the kid feed it. And then it becomes a chore. And then it's not this back and forth, unconditionally love situation. Mm-hmm. It's this work that I'm told I have to do. Well, no, you're the parent. You have to do the damn work. They're the kid. They have to be the kid, and they have to learn to love and take care. And it's the greatest thing because you can tell your teenager, hey, you know, got to go home after school because you got to let the dog out. You can't be mean to the dog. Come on. <laughs> All you ever got to do is let the dog out, play with it, then go hang out with your friends, whatever. But you got to do that. Mm-hmm. And you, um, you'd be amazed at how they actually go home every day and do that. And then by the time you get home from work, it's like, ah, oh, damn, I wanted to go out and run around the neighborhood. Oh, too bad it's time for supper. Yeah. Jeez, I'm already home. We're going to eat now, you know, because, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, animals, a dog is a good thing. Yeah, and that goes back to the, the degree or getting a um, diploma with that practice of diligence I've didn't realize how, how useful that is in, in everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's obvious now just being an adult, but I, I mean, as a kid, I didn't understand it at all because I'd start and stop things. And aside yep. from high school, I, I had no, uh, I, I had no practice in that. And that was like the, when I talk to people um, often, when they try to, you know, start things, whether it's writing a book or making music, starting a band, um, painting, it's that that's like the the biggest thing that shines out so much so that people have a joke about it about the gym how everyone signs up for a gym membership and by February no one's at the gym anymore. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and yep. Did someone teach you um or yeah teach you the importance no. of diligence or no? No, I it's uh, it's just something that I've um, I've always been a mom. <laughs> when I was a little kid, I used to have. I, these are not stories I remember. These are stories my family tells me all the time. Mm-hmm. I used to argue with my mom about who was the parent and how to take care of my brother and sister. No way! I tell my mom what she was doing wrong and how she should be doing it and what they should be doing. <laughs> yep. From the time I was like three years old, I used to tell. Everybody and my mom and I have aunts and stuff. They'd say you like would stick your nose in everybody's business. You'd see some mom like slap a little hand on some little kid, and you'd be this little kid going over there, going like, "Now you shouldn't be doing that. You should be explaining to them why it's not good for them to be grabbing candy off the floor and eating it instead of slapping their little fingers." They were like, "You're always talking into everybody's business." <laughs> I'd be like, well, they're doing it wrong. Yeah, just trying to help. You know? I can see it, too, because, like, just from all of it that that I'm um, getting to learn about, it's just with your parenting, some of it comes almost naturally or intuitively to you. Yes, it does, and it always has. And so it's very hard for me to explain sometimes why I know, like, a certain kid – 
um, I worked in high schools and stuff up until the last few years, and I worked with a group of kids um, that they now are all like juniors and seniors in college, and I was like their sixth grade like intervention teacher that would help them get their homework done and would keep them on track with their schoolwork and, you know, um, go into their houses and see if I could help with, you know, their trouble with their folks or their siblings or whatever. And I would just be able to pick out, you know, well, that's the piece. This one is, you know, really creative. Like um, one of the kids is really, really artsy, loves to draw, is always sketching all this stuff, had a horrible time with like doing actually assignments and writing or, you know, turning in papers or whatever. And it was like, if you could get him to understand that he's telling a story with his pictures, but he's also telling, he could tell a story with words. It's just a different form and a different medium. But his family was always, stop doing that, don't draw, you know, and then he was graffitiing, uh, you know, on trucks and crap and, you know, got in trouble. And it's like, okay, here's the deal. You get to come and graffiti my garage. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is get C's mm. for this next quarter in school, and you can come and paint my garage. And got C's. Other classes came and paint my garage, and he was like, wow, I really like this. And I said, now you get Bs, and I will introduce you to some graffiti guys, real guys that have know what they're doing. They've been to art school. They've got their degrees, real people that, you know, do this for a living, mm-hmm. you know. And sure enough, got Bs, and then introduced them, and then As, and then, you know, the rest of it. Now he does graffiti, and he's, you know, a junior in college and all this other stuff. But mm-hmm. I'm... I I have just the ability to look at the child and in their lives and see what, you know, this one wants to be an actor or this one wants to be a musician or this one wants to be a football player or this one wants to, you know, play the drums. And, and once, as an adult, if somebody can tell them, yeah, I see that in you. I know you got the right stuff. You can do it. All this other stuff you just have to do so that you can show people you can do it. And so they'll let you do whatever it is you want to do, you know, but you got to, I mean, school is crap. It's a horrible institution and it's getting worse, but it is the way that the world, the outside world looks at oh yeah you can accomplish and you can complete and you can do things even if they're what you don't like mm-hmm. so that you get to do what you do like and I had to do that with Mikey too I mean he was like school is useless I am smarter than these people and I understand mm-hmm. that he was smarter than most of those people I get that mm-hmm. but you still have to finish high school mm-hmm. you have to go you have to do this and he was probably in ninth grade or maybe 10th grade when he realized that, yeah, I basically just have to conform to this crap until I can move through here and then be done and I can do whatever I want. Yeah. That that way that you went, that you go about that, instead of it being like a, a combative thing is like um, when a kid is, is making um, perhaps different choices within the school system, the point to where they're, you know, they're failing and, uh, even like rejecting authority and stuff. O- oftentimes, it's what I would see with uh, my friends who get on probation. It was like the authorities and um, teachers, 
sometimes their parents were more aggressive and more like um, they would be, I don't want to say repressive. Yeah, kind of repressive. If they enjoyed anything, they would try to snuff that out so they'd focus more. Right, you take that away. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and that's like... I'm taking away the thing you're doing the most and the thing you enjoy because you're not doing what I told you you should be doing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then it becomes war and there's there's two sides now fighting against each other. Yeah. And there's an old saying from way back and even farther than my time. Um, do you want to win the war or do you want to win the battle or do you want to win the war? Because the battle is all that little stuff. It really is. The war is making a positive, productive member of society. Mm-hmm. And so I never, when Mikey and I would have fights and things like that, a lot of times it was, you know, and my mom would say, do you want to win the battle or do you want to win the war? Well, I want to win the war. I want to be a positive, productive member of society. Well, then, you know, why are you arguing about this? Well, because I – and she's like, yeah, you want to be right. Well, yeah, sometimes. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm the adult. I want to be right sometimes. <laughs> I don't always want to be wrong. You know, well, then, you know, give the battle up. And I – there were a lot of battles that Mikey won just because I knew that they weren't important mm-hmm. for the final, you know, war, which is you need to be a positive, productive member of society. And in order for you to do that, you know, I have to give in on these little points that don't mean anything, mm-hmm. you know. So you're not eating your spinach. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Three. Don't eat your spinach, you know. Yeah. I mean... Because parents do get very authoritative, and they get very, it has to be, and you got to do this and this and that. And it's like, you know, when you had said black, things were black or white, um, mm-hmm. in my head, um, things are never black and white, black or white. They're always black and white. Mm. Things are never yes or no. They are always yes and no. Mm-hmm. Yes, you don't have to eat your spinach. Um no, you don't get to eat that apple or that candy because the candy is not nutritious. The spinach is nutritious. You can make your choice, but I can say, no, you don't get the candy, mm-hmm. you, you know. Um, yeah. And so it's always yes and no. There are, you know, what per- how you look at a situation is from the perspective and the experiences you have how someone else looks at the situation is from their experiences and the life they've had. And so, yeah, you can see some of the same things, but no, you're not in the same position and you don't have the same outcome. Mm-hmm. You know? I agree. It's, it is, it's very hard to, um, to, to be able to, I guess, completely understand somebody's experience. And something that I found fascinating was the difference between, um, regular language and uh, music, for instance, where it's like really hard to convey your experience, but then with music, it's, uh, it's, it's a little easier. It feels more universal and yeah, a little more relatable in that sense. And yep. with, um, what was it? Oh, when, with my son, I've caught myself in similar situations. I was never like into power or being, uh, dominant you know, in relationships uh, with friends, family, other, otherwise. Um, but a power is very seductive because I did find myself in like 
creating, you know, limits that, that were entirely unnecessarily unnecessary. And they're based on like my idea of how something should look and yeah. without any consideration of who my son was. You know, I was yeah. always like, you should pay attention. Stop daydreaming. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> he's, he's just wait. He's not. He's not. This person is like all buttoned up and you know loves structure. He he likes to to be able to think and to play with ideas. Mm-hmm. Just because it's not the same way that I go about it, it doesn't. I don't have to you know have this fight with him. And ultimately, it's a distraction from, from the real thing, which is um, just understanding what you enjoy and how to get the most out of the moment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the kids always, when they ask me a question, all the, for, you know, 20 years, when they ask me a question, I'll say, well, and they'll go, oh, damn it, it's yes and no. And I'll say, yes and no. <laughs> my kids' girlfriends hated it. Oh, my God. His girlfriends hated the fact that I would never give them a definite answer. It would always be yes and no. Well, yes, we can do this, but, you know, no, we can't do that. And uh, <laughs> they just hated it. <laughs> Mike would say, go ask my mom, and they'd just stamp up the stairs and go, Kathy, can we do this? And then I'd go, well, and they'd be like, yes and no. <laughs> and I'd be like, no, yes and no. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um. When uh, when you were raising Mikey, there's a, an interesting thing, in which when you explain, you know, why why you can't do something or why you can do something, like uh, basically having what someone consider an adult conversation with, you know, a child, and I often try to not box my son into like a child role, as we were talking about before, how it kind of shifts, and like. Some people caution, you know, I'm going to take away my son's childhood because of these conversations and allowing him to, you know, experience a variety of things, not just like, you know, playing with the toys. I never talked to him with like baby talk. I exposed him to books that weren't just kids books just because why borrow him from that experience now? Um, I'm interested in in how how you would um, place that role of like, you know, parent-child relationship with with Mikey. Um, did you? Was there a point to where like you exposed him to all of the world, or was have you always seen him as just another person since he was? Kid? Well, I've always seen him. I had a rule: there was no baby talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so nobody ever talked baby talk to Mikey, um, which is why he probably talked and um, had sentences and has a very good. Um, understanding of language mm-hmm. when he was very young. Um, and I did not ever, I do not believe that children need to know everything. They are not your friend. Yeah. They are children. And in some ways, yes, they need to experience childhood, but they also need to experience in the fact that there is a bigger world beyond them mm-hmm. that they are going to have to function in at some point in time. And they should... Um, be able to start figuring out the differences in what is something that they need and have to have. Like you have to have clean water, you have to have clean air, you have to have 
food, you have to have shelter, you have to have some kind of community, and the things that you want in life. I want there to be peace on earth. I want to become a doctor. I want to, those are things that are once you have all the basic needs that you can work for and towards, but that does not ultimately make you who you are. Mm-hmm. And um, you need to distinguish between who, and Mike was very good at, he had a stage presence mm-hmm. and he had a personal presence. And a lot of people talk about how Mike, you know, after a show, they'd meet him he would, you know, talk to them for five minutes, and then five years later, he'd meet them somewhere else, and he'd be able to tell what went on, you know, what their conversation was, or ask them, well, did you ever resolve that, you know, conflict with your girlfriend or whatever it was, and they're astonished at that. But that's because he was very good at when he's talking to you, that's personal. When he's on stage performing, that's a whole different persona. Oh, wow. That's the entertainer. And then when he gets off and he's talking to you, he personally is connecting with you, whether you know it or not, or whether you think, oh, he's just a star or whatever. But then when you'd come back years later and he'd say something and he'd remember that conversation or he'd know your name or he'd step out of the crowd because he saw you at the last five shows and he'd come over and hug you. Those were all personal things. Mm. And he was very good at that. I don't think a lot of us are. I think a lot of us think that what we portray to the outside is our personal, is who we are. And I disagree with that. I believe we all have the ability to relate and connect personally to the person we're talking to or the person we're seeing or the person we meet versus when we go do our job. Mm-hmm. Or when we go to our, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. We, we compartmentalize ourselves into um, those two different personas. And I've, actually, yeah. I've even seen that in from like sales as well, to where when people <clears throat> are, are, you know, selling things, for instance, just actually a lot of disciplines, where they'll come home and they'll completely flip a switch and it's like a different mindset, yep. different person. And, yep. It's interesting, too, because the conversations seem to have been so meaningful between you and um, Mikey that I can see how that would uh, spill over into his conversations with other people as well. When Would you guys, um, when you said that you wouldn't let anyone talk to Mikey as if you were a child uh, or baby talk, essentially. Uh, Would you guys, like spend a lot of time having just just conversations like whimsical conversations with each other oh all the time constantly actually there was a point in time um when all the kids would come over here on sunday night so this was years ago when um like the x-files first Mm -hmm. started out um and they were on sunday nights and so i think it was like the simpsons and that 70s and the x-file all the kids would come over here we would have They'd have these big, huge discussions about everything. I mean, pick a damn subject, and they talked about it, and, or you know. And, um, and then the show would come on, and nobody could talk. Everybody had to be quiet. 
And then the commercial would come on and they'd pick up the conversation. So, you know, say they were talking about how the earth rotates around the moon or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then they would pick that conversation back up and we'd have this big discussion (laughs) for that two and a half minutes. And then the commercials would be over and be like, shut up. And then we'd, so for years on Sunday nights, everybody was here and they had, we had all kinds of discussions about everything. There was not a subject that they couldn't talk about. There wasn't a subject that they couldn't ask questions about. Um, you know, it wasn't always just my opinion. Sometimes, you know, I would actually be looking up stuff and say, look here, you know, (laughs) I don't know, but here, read the encyclopedia. It'll tell you who, you know, um, and stuff like that. But I know, there wasn't any subject Mikey ever could not talk about and from little on and we talked about everything and all the time um and you know he was exposed to like anything he wanted to do but he was also exposed to anything that like my dad drove race cars my brother has a kidney disease um so he was exposed to a lot of other things in life too not just what he wanted to do mm-hmm. and um you know, that gave him an extra perception of, you know, there's other things in the world. Look at this, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people are on dialysis three times a week or they're going to die. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and how, how old was Mikey when um, his uncle went on dialysis? Um, my brother had, was on dialysis. I wonder if Mike was... Mike might have been just born, and Todd was already on dialysis. Todd was on dialysis for like 20 years. He was one of the longest people on dialysis without dying um, before he got a transplant. And he got a transplant three days after Mikey turned 18. Wow. So, because um, he got a kidney from me. And mm-hmm. so when we realized he had to have a transplant, because they actually had as a very rare disease, um, and they removed both his kidneys um, because his own body killed his kidneys. Whoa. So it's, it's, an, a, it's a kidney disease, but it's also an immunodeficiency disease. So his own immune system attacked and killed his kidneys. So they had to remove them. And um, he was on dialysis before that. Then they had to remove him. And they removed him when Mikey was about eight because um, that was when Mikey and I started having conversations. He wanted to know about dying. And he wanted to know what happens and how do people leave their stuff. And, um, you know, and that's when he actually decided. And I actually even, we were driving down 7th Street, and he actually told me, I'm going to be reincarnated as rain. Because wow. when I die, I want everybody to be able to live. Wow. Um, but it was because we were worried that, you know, once you take your kidneys out and all this stuff, and we couldn't find a match because of the disease and because of our weird genetics and stuff. And so I was the best match, but my brother would never do the transplant mm-hmm. until Mikey was 18 because if something happened, he didn't want Mike to be without me. Whoa. So Mike turned 18 on November 9th, and we did the transplant November 11th. 17 years ago, actually, this past November. That's crazy. Just so. throughout his childhood, he had that running theme of my uncle may or may not die. Right. Wow. And was there, um, were you guys nervous if there were going to be, uh, at when he was 18, that is, um, 
at that time, were you guys nervous that there were going to be complications or since it was so much time had passed, were you guys just looking to get it? Um, you know, I was never nervous there was going to be complications. That was my brother. And he was not nervous about him. He was nervous and worried something was going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. But we have the fastest transplant on record. We were the 13th person to do it laparoscopically. So they actually just cut my stomach instead of cutting your back and taking out your rib and all this other stuff that they used to do. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew nothing was going to happen to either one of us, but that was just maybe more my confidence about, you know, it's not going to happen and everything's going to be fine. And, but we did every, everything in place and Mikey knew everything in case something did happen. Yeah. You know, like where, where does the house go and where's all the money and where's, you know, my will and everything, where is, uh, how is stuff going to be split up and all that stuff. Um, and we did have those conversations in just case something did happen. That's kind of the other thing is that, you know, Mike and I pretty much had conversations about everything, um, except that he died because that was not a conversation we had. Which, um, if, if I would have been, you know, he didn't live with me at the time. And I guess if he would have lived here, I might've been able to notice more, um, you know, cause some of his friends have said he was kind of destructive the last few months and things like that. And I might have been able to notice more of that, but he was never like high or, you know, on drugs or something when, you know, we would go to the store or when he'd call and say, you want to go do dinner, you know? So I, I didn't have quite as good of an eye on that as if he would have been living at the house, I would have had more of, you know, cause I would have been around him 24 seven, you know, exactly. and I wasn't so. Um, and I'm a little pissed off and a little mad at a few people who feel they had more information and didn't decide to share it until afterwards. But, you know, that's on them, not on me. Yeah, exactly. That would be, I can understand how that would be a hard thing to wrestle with and feel kind of hurtful, though. You know, so. But things do tend to blindside us. And yeah. Such a hard thing. Well, yeah. we never know everybody no matter what. You know, I mean, we just don't. I mean, if you're not actually like with the person 24-7, and even if you are with the person 24-7, there are still things in their minds that they don't share. You know, we all have personal things. And, you know, like you were talking about thoughts, and you just don't act on them. You have those thoughts, you know. But you don't go around telling everybody you have those thoughts. (laughs) You know, I mean, they... They throw you in the nut house or the, you know, jail or whatever if you tell everybody. I mean, I tell people a lot, you know, I, you better be careful because I got a loaded gun. Just yeah. watch yourself. Yeah, exactly. There's just, you know? well, like, that's the thing that, that it doesn't bother me. Um, well, it kind of does actually, is that, is if you bring up certain things, like you have a risk of being um, not incarcerated. What is that? Locked up, yeah. if you will. Yeah, mocked, incarcerated, you know, I mean, yeah, the Homeland Security, act, you know, they can do whatever they want. Yeah, and, like, that's, a, a th- like, an issue in, in a sense. And, like, going back to, like, Mikey thing, where I realized I was able to, through the music, um, it helped me identify what I felt and not feel, like, really weird or alienated because of how I felt. I felt like I could talk to people about those more. And I realized that, oh, a lot of people 
um, feel the same way that I do or they feel, you know, different ways that I'm very surprised by. Even people that I admire, for instance, nobody's bulletproof. They just, you know, certain news, for instance, if you go on the Today Show, they just cherry pick all of the highlights from your life. And it's like a misrepresentation of what, you know, my life's like or what someone else's life is like, you know? Mm-hmm. That's the thing that, that I, I really enjoy about listening to um, how you communicate with other people and parenting, though, is how open you are and um, how much dialogue you you encourage other people to have with you. Um, I, I've ever since like, you know, with Mikey's music, and a couple of other things as I was growing up, that's where it was a turning point for me where I was like, instead of trying to hide all of these things, I think people would be disgusted by why not just be outward with, or, you know, open with them all and relish in the things that, that are dark, scary, and, you know, try to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't necessarily, I mean, again, we're going, it's yes and no. Yes, they're kind of scary and they're kind of dark, but no, they're not really because if you actually discuss them or if you actually look at them or if you actually reason out why they're there, they're not, you know, and it, it, the whole world's yes and no. Yeah. There is not yes or no. It's yes and no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like that in the sense of to not, in that, that you're making me think of it. If it, it, it at most times when I would um, be so dogmatic in the things that that I I believe in, um, my values, or maybe it could even be a religion or anything like that, I often find myself and others blindsided because of the narrow-mindedness from you know being dead set on a yes or a no or on this is right and this is wrong, black and yeah. white, not black or white. Yep. But, but yeah. it. it it's both. It's it's two sides of the same coin, you know. I mean, there's a ton of sayings about it, you know. Um, and I don't know that people really understand what the sayings are about, but there, it, it again is you and I both come to this conversation from our own backgrounds and our own experience. And in order for us to have a dialogue, we need to, at different points in time, be the adult and share our experience, and then the next one, but the adult and shares their experience, and then we come to a common understanding. Mm-hmm. That's what I wish the whole world was like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> but, <laughs> I used to have a, um, when the kids were young teenagers, I used to tell them, they better be careful because I'm going to grow up and I'm going to rule the world. And Mikey would laugh and he'd say, you don't want to rule the world because you'd make everybody act like you and you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sweet. <laughs> and then I used to tell him, oh, shut up, you little brat. <laughs> little brat was my affectionate side. I don't say brat is a bad thing. It was it's, it was always done in a, you know, very loving and affectionate way. You know, oh, you little brat. <laughs> and my mom did a similar thing, and it was little fucker. But that was the only, like, it was always affectionate, though. <laughs> yeah. I didn't swear until Mikey died. Oh really? I never swore a day in my life until he died. Wow, that's a tr- was it um, out of uh, principle, your values, or is it just never came? It out? was out of the fact that, and I used to tell the kids this too. And the kids didn't really swear around me. And the first couple of times they, after Mikey died, they heard me swear. They almost all just passed out, straight oh, fainted no. right then and there. <laughs> but I used to tell them, highly intelligent people can find other adjectives to express themselves without swearing. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and, you know, a lot of Mikey's music doesn't have swearing in it. Yeah, that is true. I mean, there are some, and that you know, and there's some well placed, you know, fuck this or whatever. Um, and the Grand Six Sense, there's a lot of swearing because that was the first time they, him and Max, got to swear in the basement in the studio. That was the only place they could swear. So in some of those songs, they swear like every other word. Yeah. Because it was the very first time they ever got to swear. Whoa. But nobody swore. I used to have a quarter jar. Quarters Plus really come in the house. Oh, yeah. And adults, children, anybody who swore, put a quarter in that jar. I don't care who you were. I don't talk like that. You don't get to talk like that. doesn't matter. <laughs> and I used to tell him, I don't care if God Almighty comes down and swears, you better be heading towards that quarter jar. <laughs> yeah. No, highly intelligent people do not need to swear. <laughs> I, I agree with you, too, because people that I've met, including myself, actually, will lazily use the words repetitively um, to fill dead space or to think or, yeah. Yeah. It's, like, very interesting. Like You do. <laughs> you don't actually, well, you probably do see Trump swearing, but <laughs> yeah. for him, you probably didn't see any of our presidents talking to the U.N. swearing. Mm-mm. They didn't do that. They saved that for their homies when they were back sitting there smoking their cigars and drinking their brandy. And it's more powerful, too, if you do, you know, you set it aside as a very sharp tool, I suppose. Yeah. You know, um, so, yeah, no, highly intelligent people didn't need to swear to uh, express their adjectives. There are plenty of them out there. Yes, there are. And that's like I've even seen that when I was saying like the the very interesting thing where um, I was just. Even just like curse words, though, I was um, plugging in like random adjectives to describe something, and it eventually was just all fluff. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, would, is there anything that you would uh, like to let the audience know or leave them with a takeaway? Um, I don't know. I hope everybody has a good holiday. I hope everybody, um, I, you know, have projects that'll be coming out and down the line you know i've um there is you know the dvd that's out and brandon keeps alluding to these unreleased tracks and if he don't watch it he's gonna he's gonna be one that's gonna get a little upside the head there (laughs) (laughs) because there is music that you know i do want max and um to put together and you know release and stuff down the road and I want to finish. Mikey had started writing Big Shots as a play. I want to try to get that finished. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a long process, and there's a lot. And um, be patient, I guess, is what I'd like everybody to know, because it could be 15 years from now, and there will still be something new coming out. Because yep. I am going to, according to the transplant doctors, live another 40 goddamn years, which oh will make me like 100 and something. So. Well. There'll be a long time of things coming. You have a beautiful mind and you're a wonderful teacher. I really look forward to that. <laughs> oh, why, thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. It's, uh, it's been very nice talking to you. It was I've had a good time. It's nice talking to you too, Kathy. I was really surprised and you you reminded me, I don't know, a lot of myself and my interactions with my son, but you also taught me a lot and I hope to use it with my little man. Thank you. Oh, good. <laughs> and uh, if you'd like, I um, can include any relevant links to any of your current like um, projects. 
Um, well, there's always the michaellarson.com site, which has all of our merch on it and all the T-shirts, and um, it has some stories and things on it about Mikey. And then for the DVD, it would be um, The World Has No Idea on Facebook. It might be a .com site also, but I'm not real sure. So you can find that on Facebook. And um, those are the two main, probably, links, you know, at the moment. And like I said, there'll be more projects and things coming down the pike. And we're going to have another park dedication this upcoming fall because we're putting a picnic table and we have already, we have a picnic table and we have a bench. They're in two separate parts of the park. They are going to be in the same place. That is my next project. I am working from now until next October, and if I have to dig the damn thing up myself and move it, I will. <laughs> but they were supposed to be. I have the paperwork. The city was going to put them in the same place, and then they didn't, and it was like, well, all right, we'll leave it for a while. And then I did other projects and things like that, and then the movie, and now it's time to get them in the right place. And then I'm... Actually, I think I'm even going to do another documentary, but I think I'm going to make it a tour documentary. So all the people that Mikey toured with and all the different tours that were out there. So I think that'll be the the next project. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I've got, like I said, there's music, and that'll be the next project. And Mm -hmm. there's just stuff that'll all be coming down. I don't really tell much about it because... I never know what's going to happen. Like I said, I take care of my mom now, so mm-hmm. that puts a lot of stuff on the back burner. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. If uh, you just keep me posted, and I will um, share any of your projects as they come out. And yeah, and I wish the best luck to your mom too. Yeah, well, thanks. You know, um, it's a, she is a really strange thing because her diaphragm stopped working. Whoa. And you know that's the muscle that makes us breathe. So yeah. it's uh, it's partially working, and so she has uh, machines that partially work, and it partially works. And we just uh, try to take every day as best we can, and keep moving forward. Yeah, exactly. It's all you can do at times. Yep. So anyhow, have a good holiday. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. It's been a wonderful time talking to you. I am actually going to go out and deliver presents now that we are done with this interview here. That is wonderful, and I'm going to go see some of my family. Hope there you, you go. Christmas. <laughs> yes, you too. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Have a great night. You too. Already. <laughs> Bye. Prince in practice moans for the attention that he wants. But most this town won't even dignify his ignorance with the response left to a crowded foster home by a 15-year-old mom. Never been held in anyone's arms when you never been moved. It's really hard to move on. A young saleswoman sets up shop when the sun sets. She makes a wow, the screams come true. At a price you won't forget the sadly married set up alibis No harm, no regret Hoping they meet an angel in bed That could wrestle the devil right out of their heads The city runs fast No one has time to sit with themselves No time to look into our pain Or see the same despair in everyone else is here It's there, it's everywhere Tears soak each card the dealer's dealt Time taught me how to see every second as heaven Even though the perfectly disguised as hell And I refuse to let past bruises cover the light It ain't all good, but it's all good enough so I know I'm alright Agony is truth It's our connection to the living I accept it as perfection And keep on existing in the now I can